0: We did a lot to try to set high expectations in year one. We, we said that year one was not gonna be a crutch for us and we're not gonna change our expectations just because it's the first year. Like, this is USC. The expectation competitively should be championships. I, I think the biggest difference, Greg, is I do think there was still a portion of our roster that we were having to convince yeah. last year that when we started to get on that run, that we're probably a little bit surprised. Right, right. Um, <laughs> Now, our our roster expects to win.
1: Welcome to Always College Football. Today is Friday, July 28th, and we hope you're having a terrific day wherever it is that you're coming to us from, including those that are watching internationally. We so appreciate you guys. How about Jesse Deck hitting us up in the YouTube comments? Greetings from France, Always College Football. You guys rock. And you are my main source of information and content about college ball from across the Atlantic. Jesse, we appreciate you, man. Spread the love. We want to get big in France. We need to probably... Guys, I think we do maybe a show on location at some point, maybe six, seven years from now, we'll get the budgets up. And maybe we go do a, a live show on location from like, I don't know, the southern part of France. Maybe we go to Monaco or somewhere close to there. Maybe we go to the Monaco F1 race or something like we could figure something out. We just need you guys help. We need you to keep rating. We need you to keep subscribing. We need you to keep leaving us great reviews. And we saw all your reviews, my goodness. YP 23Z, SnickTab, Fiji 271, Han or Thon, I wasn't sure what it was. 812, we saw you. Sat Savannah, Georgia, Sav G A 61. The Bravos 91. Dodger fan, not a Braves fan, but we'll we'll find a way to to agree to disagree, at least as it relates to to MLB, we will talk college football together. We can do that, right? Uh, Jay Harris, 11, A Tennis, S Brecken, 13456. You forgot the two, but I respect it nonetheless. And then TDFB Coach, touchdown football coach. That's the type of name I'm talking about. We saw your reviews. We appreciate you guys being loyal listeners to the show. It helps us immensely. If you guys could, and we see all that have left a couple one star reviews. That's fine. If you disagree with our over under takes on whether or not your team's going to win a bunch of games, that's cool. But don't rate it one star. I mean, come on, man. Like, we can, we, you can like our show and disagree with a take. You don't have to have, you know, paint me as some Bama homer and leave a one star because, come on, man. It's the show. We, the takes aren't getting rated. The takes aren't. <laughs> just the show, right? But we so appreciate y'all. We've seen them. We continue to read them and we continue to ask you guys to spread the word about Always College Football. We love this sport. We love interacting with our fans. We love interacting with people that love the sport as much as us. This is our dream. We love, love to cover college football as often as we can here on Always College Football. We have a terrific show in store for you today. Lincoln Riley, the head coach of the USC Trojans, fresh off of what was an incredible first year. One that we thought was possible, but not likely. Now it's time to take it up a notch. What is he doing with his team to find those wins at the end of the year to make sure they can finally punch their ticket into the college football playoff? They were so close last year. Will they get it done in 23? We will find out. We'll talk to Lincoln Riley about that pursuit. We also are going to get into the mailbag a little bit. Talk a little bit about Georgia's schedule. A lot of people saying this is a soft schedule is it soft or is Georgia good? We'll answer that. We'll also try to define what a difficult schedule is and we'll do our best to explain what the heck a show cause is. I'm not sure we did a very adequate job of trying to explain that, but we'll do it together. How does that sound? All right, without much further ado, the head coach of the USC Trojans, he's Lincoln Riley. Well, back again. The only difference now is that when Lincoln Riley looks at me, he sees that beautiful USC Trojans helmet in the background. Coach, what's going on, my friend?
0: Doing doing well, Greg. Doing well. Hope you are as well. And thanks for uh, thanks for having me.
1: Oh, absolutely, this is a treat. And I I be honest with you, Coach. Watching last year, not really knowing what to expect. Knew you had a quarterback. Knew you guys would be improved. But my goodness, man, I I don't think any of us expected to look in September and just see how far along you guys were. So before we look into this season if we could just revisit last year just for a half second, at what point did you start to realize, man, you know what? We're probably a little ahead of schedule.
0: Yeah. I was, I was excited about the team the whole way I really was with the, um, with the way the guys kind of really bought into what we were doing and the way they bonded, even though we, we put the team together in a little bit of an unconventional way. It it was, it was cool to see that kind of that synergy with the group that quick. And, um, yeah i thought you know we beat oregon state uh, up on the uh, in in the road or on the road up in corvallis early in the year and you know what ended up being a really good oregon state team and uh, it was a tough game we played really well defensively um kind of won it at the end and it was a a game where we we certainly didn't play our best as a team but be able to kind of find a way to win a really tough game on the road that early made me think, all right, we, we may have a chance to make a little bit of a run here. And then, uh, yeah, we just, we got on a run. We started playing some good football. The team kind of gained confidence. There was a lot of momentum and excitement around the program. And uh, it was it was a really fun run Yeah, for, for year one. Certainly made a lot of progress.
1: I remember that game. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to watch it. Uh, wherever I was, whatever hotel room I was in, I was in Dallas, actually. Uh, we had just called Texas Know You that day, I believe and I was listening to it on SiriusXM. So I was listening to the game, and it's like one afternoon. You guys, what, did you have four picks in that game? I think it we was. Did. It was unbelievable performance. We did, defensive. yeah. We
0: got a lot of turnovers. Uh, yeah. Played really, Both defenses played really well. Offenses both kind of had tough days, but we found a way to, to punch one in there at the end and got a, got a pick to end it, which was pretty cool.
1: Well, it, it obviously leads us in, into this year with totally different expectations from where the program's at. We know who Caleb is. Uh, As a player at his very best, I mean, last year was just ridiculous, and we we saw glimpses of that obviously the year prior as well. But what exactly? How do you coach a guy that's that good and and that far along? I mean, I know you want to tweak, and you're never stopping trying to improve. But my goodness, I mean, you got to be kind of nitpicking a guy that has that many god given god given talents.
0: Yeah, it's you know I think it's fun. I think it's a I think it's a great responsibility. Uh, when you get a chance to to coach guys that are really talented and, and have had some success early on in their career. Uh, the thing we stress with Caleb, and it's it's not like we're having to create buy-in. I mean he's he's very bought in with, with our approach is like this is, you know, for guys like him, I mean you're talking about a he he's probably got a 10 to 15 year window in terms of the amount of football left. And you're on a you're on a big climb. You're going to have individual uh, goals along the way, individual seasons. But you you know this isn't golf, right? We we all know <laughs> you only get to play this for so long, and you better capitalize on those years and those moments to improve. Because there is a notion like if you if you're an All American or an MVP or you win an individual award, there's like this perception that well, man, it was probably like perfect or close to it. In all reality, it's not and there is there really is so much to get better and the thing for Caleb and our whole team is there's going to be all kinds of different challenges this year like football changes it evolves there you know you know some of the challenges coming up but you you don't know some of them as well you don't know when you're going to be in inclement weather when you're going to get hurt or you know when somebody's going to do something uh, that you didn't expect right and just you're trying to constantly build yourself up as much as you can to be ready for the different challenges that come up. And that's been our mentality with him. And there's a lot to improve on. And, and obviously it's a it's a fun guy to coach and go through that process with.
1: It's it's gotta be so much fun. And now you got as if you guys need to get any more help at the quarterback spot, in comes Cliff Kingsbury and well, I know he's great looking and all that stuff. I think he starred in Barbie recently, but uh, and that might have been Gosling. Either way, uh, he now having an extra set of eyes on on Caleb. What, what does Coach Kingsbury, or I, why are we calling him Coach? He's Cliff, right, for all of us. <laughs> what does Cliff do for that room in particular, and for the offense in that analyst role?
0: It does a lot. I mean, first, I point to just for the entire team. I mean, a guy that's been a head coach at both the, the collegiate and the professional levels uh, has had to, to make those decisions and sit in that chair. And so he's been extremely helpful for me and I think other members of our staff with, with his experience level. Uh, yeah, and it certainly adds a lot to the offensive room. You know, we've got a lot of really good coaches and I think really good minds in that room. And, and he's, he's certainly added to it. Um, and just to have that resource for – uh, for game planning, for, for how we design practice, uh, for on the down to, you know, what we do in individual that day with the quarterbacks. It, it's great to have somebody of his experience, and he certainly, you know, made us better and look forward to going through this year with him.
1: Now it'll be it'll be terrific, and, and he's such a great mind and, a, and a, such a hard worker and a great guy to have around. Uh, last year, you know, you, like you said, you kind of pieced it together. There were a few guys that wanted to be a part of what you guys were building, but you were still at that point selling belief and Hey, just trust us. We're going to figure this out. Now you actually can sell results. So how different did you approach the portal this year? And, and, What was the response like from the guys that entered the portal and reaching out to you, perhaps? I mean, Marshawn or Dorian or some of the guys that were highly touted that had great situations entering the portal. Were they reaching out to you now as a result of the success of last year?
0: Yeah, I think there was less of having to paint the picture for these guys in terms of what we're doing. I think they they they've seen it. People across the country have seen it. They see the opportunities here. They see some of the other guys that maybe before them, that chose this path and how that's, you know, changed some of their lives and in many ways. And you did, you have a lot of people that want to be a part of it. And uh, it's, uh, it's a cool climb to be on, especially at a place like this. And I think that resonates with, with people all across the country. And it's, whether it's a portal or recruiting guys from high school, um, to, to see the proof, to see the wins, uh, People already know the quality of degree here to see the university investing. I mean, We're getting ready to build a, a brand new football facility that's that's been much needed here uh, for many years. And it's going to be absolutely uh, a game changer for us. You're just all the pieces are starting to fall into place here. And that excites people. And when you do that in this market, in this place, in this city, like there's uh, there's nothing like it.
1: It's a USC town. There's no denying that. Uh, Before we get to the defense, I do want to talk a little bit about the offensive line because that was probably, I don't know if it, I don't really keep a list of most improved groups in college football. I I don't, I'd love to say I do. And we talk in superlatives now, but I'd be hard pressed to find someone or a group that improved more from one year to the next than your group did last year. So what did coach Henson do with that group that just got them to click so early on and, and real, really be able to move people more so than they had in the previous years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Josh did a tremendous job with the group. They, that group was, uh, we, we were fortunate that we had a pretty old group, uh, yeah. a pretty veteran group, and they really kind of led the charge and not really just with the offensive line, but these were some of our, our strongest team leaders as well. And, uh, they, they were able to soak up the offensive scheme and really come together and, and do some great things. It's, it was certainly not the most talented group uh, that, that, that I've had, but one of the more cohesive units um, that, that we've had. And they, I think that was really the key. Uh, this group this year, uh, we've got some some returners like Justin Dietrich and Jonah Monheim that are tremendous players. And, yeah. and then we've uh, both through developing in our own program and certainly recruiting high school in the portal have added a number of guys. Uh, our room there is more talented uh, from top to bottom without a doubt than last year's, but we've got to come together in the same way we did, and that will be the
1: key. Moving over to the – and I like some of the transfers you brought in too. I mean, I know you're going to have a solid group there. No doubt about it. Offense is not at all a concern. And then defense last year, Coach, I know yardage-wise, probably not going to jump off the page, but from opportunistic and situational standpoint, I thought there were a lot of positives last year. I don't really subscribe to the national narrative. When you turn people over the way you turn people over, man, there is a lot of people that would kill to have turnover numbers like that. So how do you continue to make that a point of emphasis and, and making sure that yeah, we want to grow in other areas, but making sure that that's still the number one priority for you defensively.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, that's you know, that was kind of the story for our defense uh, last season. I mean, really, really the first half of the year. And I know we referenced the Oregon State game. I mean, the defense was really the thing that carried this football team. Um, and then that and then that flipped in the second half of the year. We were tremendous in getting turnovers, um, but the missed tackles and mental mistakes really, really, really showed up especially in the second half of the season and I think that's um, you know that that's the, been the focus point for this team is how do we uh, how do we add more competitive depth because I do believe we in some senses got worn down a little bit at the end of the season um, how do we get better on the front seven and then how can we uh, be a more efficient group that plays the game uh, with less mental mistakes because you're I mean schedule we play, I mean, you start to look at, I mean, quarterbacks in this league, some of the skill in this league, like you're you're going to have people that are going to at times make plays on you when it's just good football and they make the competitive play. Like that's – when you play good defenses, offenses, it really doesn't matter. That's going to happen some. What you can't do is give them the gimmies, right? Give them the gifts when you bust a coverage or when a guy gets out of gap or when you miss right. just a, a simple open field tackle. Those are the areas – that we've got to most improve cuz like you said we made a lot of great plays we were our turnover margin was off the charts our defensive turnovers were off the charts um, and we believe we've added the right pieces along with made some of the adjustments that we needed to make as a coaching staff to play really good defense here and i mean that's our our goal our expectation is to play as high level defense at USC as anywhere in the country and that's that's the mindset coming in that's the mindset of our group right now
1: and and it should be, and and the way you guys score points, I mean, it's it's understandable, and the way you guys can tempo, and the way you can score fast, I can understand where those guys would maybe maybe be, maybe exposed to a few more snaps than they would be if you ran an Iowa an Iowa style offense or something like that, but knowing that you have gone to the portal and added guys, seven guys off power five rosters, guys that are probably going to be in the starting lineup for you, fortifying the depth and returning a lot of productivity from last year as well. How many guys theoretically in a perfect world would you like to have in your defensive rotation? So they don't get gassed out in the second half.
0: Well, it definitely depends on position. The biggest area that we needed to improve from that was you have to have that competitive depth in the front. Yeah. You have to have that there. And that's where, we were the most thin and also probably had the least amount of competitive depth. And those reps, especially in the trenches, and we know how physical of a game this is, those reps add up. And by the end of the year, you know, if you're a team that, you know, your guys have been fresh and you've been able to rotate, that shows up. If you haven't, it shows up. When you have injuries and all the things that happen at the end, can you withstand that? And we were not built quite strong enough to withstand that. I do think we're going to be in a much better position to do it this year.
1: It certainly feels that way with some of the big names and guys that were impact players at other places filling into whatever role they fill into. Uh, It certainly should be very exciting looking at the schedule coach. And I know you look, you're focused on San Jose state. I understand that. Um, But looking at the schedule, I mean, I think it sets up in in a way that's kind of unique. You get that early buy, you got the week zero game, and then you got the buy at the end. It's kind of odd. Uh, But that last part of the schedule is really interesting. So I know you want to come out of the gates on fire, but it, do you want to kind of incrementally improve? I mean, what I guess what is the philosophy when you know you have a backloaded schedule like that where it's really difficult down the stretch and the further you go, the harder it gets? How do you kind of just bring your team along? I mean, I I know you'd love to be perfect every week, but that's not likely. So do you kind of maybe hold some things back and then maybe start to put a little bit more on their shoulders as the season goes along?
0: Uh, You know, Greg, college football is so different because, you know, this isn't, you know, in any other sport, in high school football, professional football, any other sports, you can afford uh, some losses along the way and still get to where you want to get to. You know, our sport is very, very different. And uh, they're going to look at the entirety of what you've done um, throughout the year. And so I do think certainly accelerating throughout the year, uh, the team, a, a big emphasis on the team being able to consistently improve, building the depth that we know we're going to need in the second half of the season when we play a lot of really good football teams. I think all that is absolutely a part of it. But the only way those games at the end matter is if you do what you're supposed <laughs> to do in the beginning, right? So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know we're going to hold anything back, but there will certainly be an expectation that we are going to have to continually improve. And And really, the longer the season goes, the better we need to get.
1: It's you've I don't know if you've ever gone into a season as a head coach where you didn't have significant expectations. And uh, granted, taking over for Coach Stoops, I think 2017 was one of the best teams I've ever seen that didn't win a national championship. I mean, you guys were phenomenal. I mean, really, we're we're a terrific football team. So you guys got going and the expectations didn't dwindle whatsoever. Last year, I think people were a little unknown. N- not this year, though. So what's the chatter inside the locker room, knowing that there are some pretty significant expectations on your team and, and on your players?
0: I think the I think the difference is, you know, internally we 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 did we did a lot to try to set high expectations in year one. We we said that year one was not gonna be a crutch for us and we're not gonna change our expectations just because it's the first year. Like this is USC. The expectation competitively should be championships. I think the biggest difference, Greg, is I do think there was still a portion of our roster that we were having to convince yeah. last year that when we started to get on that run, that we're probably a little bit surprised. Right. right. Um, now, our, our roster expects to win. Yeah. Right. They, they expect to be in those big games. They expect to be in the championship hunt. Like that. That is very, very clear to me. And so. But you still got to go do it. Right. No matter what you did the year before, no matter what the expectations are, you have to go do it. And so uh, but I don't I don't think we'll be a surprise this year. I think that's our expectation. And we got to have a healthy respect for what it takes to get that done.
1: It's amazing that you say that because I can actually as a player vividly remember a situation similar as 2008 Coach Saban's second year. And we just started rolling, and we started winning games. And I think all of us saw one next to our name was like, "We sh- we can't we can't we can't be this <laughs> like that." This happened. So I know exactly what you're saying. It does have an impact. It's like, aren't we supposed to lose at some point? I mean, and and I think the guys now that they've seen it and the proof is in the pudding. Hey, we do a little bit more here. We can get over that hump. So, has there been a different approach maybe for your roster this year, knowing that? hey, not only like you said, we're, we're expected to win games, we're going to win games, and if we do this just a little bit better, maybe the result will be different at the end of the year.
0: Yeah, I think it's a more business-like approach and probably sure. just everybody a little more unified in terms of knowing the standard, knowing the expectations. It's been a little bit more of just a kind of business-as-usual approach with the guys. And, right. um, and so, yeah, I, I and, and listen, year two, everything feels a little different, right? I mean, right. you just – Um, there's a much more of an understanding and then it's just about the work and you can focus on improving versus just learning, you know, the very base fundamentals of our program. And uh, so I think that's been an advantage throughout this off season.
1: And finally, I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but we all know the realities of what 2024 is bringing a new playoff format, new league, a lot of excitement, a lot of momentum that's been created. Now that you know that the big 10 patch will be going on your chest starting in 24, how have the recruits reacted to that realignment have there has there been momentum is there intrigue is there int- what what exactly has been the reaction collectively from the young people that you've visited with
0: yeah momentum and intrigue are two two good words to describe it i mean I think whether it's a a player on the west coast uh whether it's a player in the uh in the midwest a player on the east coast i think it's there's a lot of excitement about it i mean it's just If you're on the West coast, you're talking about being able to really spread out, play in new areas. If you're playing on the East coast, you get to play half your games in LA and a lot of the other games are going to be close (laughs) to home. Um, the matchups, this is going to create, I mean, (laughs) forever and ever the (laughs) the most watched, most popular college football game forever and ever has probably, probably been the Rose bowl. And, um, and now you're going to take, a lot of those matchups that people only got to see once a year and they're going to happen yearly and they're going to happen, not in a neutral site, but at these, these different iconic venues, like it's, it's going to be really special. It is. Uh, there's, there's a, it's fun when we kind of break off into the recruiting side of it and we can look ahead uh, to what it's going to be. And, and uh, I, I think in some ways, like we had to have the proof of concept here, I think recruit some future players and fans are really excited about it. I think once it happens and they see it, it'll go to a whole nother level.
1: Yeah. When Michigan runs to the tunnel at the Coliseum, you think there'll be a uh, little energy in that building? I think. Oh <laughs> or Ohio State or any of, the, any of the big 10 teams that'll be heading out west here. It's going to be so exciting as a fan. I just can't wait. I can't believe it's happening. Uh, and we are just 12 months away. But a lot of things to get done between now and then, Coach. We can't tell you how much we appreciate your time. We can't wait to watch your team this year. Have a great fall camp and a great season. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate you. We all know about the speed of sound, but have you ever thought about the sounds of speeding? If you drive over the speed limit, there are lots of different sounds that you might hear. Drive too fast and you could hear the sound of your vehicle crashing, the sound of ambulances and first responders desperately trying to free you from the wreckage. You could hear the beeps of a heart monitor. You could hear doctors and nurses in an emergency room as you're being treated for your injuries. You could hear the sound of a worried family member in a hospital waiting room, hoping that you're okay. You could even hear the sound of people crying at a funeral because if you drive over the speed limit, whether by a lot or by a little, you can do damage that's beyond repair. You could seriously injure yourself or worse, you could hurt and even kill someone else. When you speed, you put everyone on the road in danger. One way or another, speed catches up with you. Paid for by NHTSA. We all know breakfast is an important part of your
2: day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow, you shine. Book direct at lq.com. As always, we so appreciate
1: all of you that continue to submit questions. Remember, we're not just accepting questions into our mailbox, we will also accept them on social media. We actually have a question today from a social media member. We appreciate you. Follow, follow at always college football, always CFB. Follow that on Instagram and Twitter. And if you could, send us any questions that you might have. Honestly, some of you haven't even submitted questions. We've gotten emails. Hey, we're from the UK, and we just really appreciate the coverage and all this other stuff. So we really appreciate all of you guys reaching out. It's great to interact with people that follow the show, and you guys have helped make us better. We really mean that. We really, really appreciate it. So always collegefootball at gmail.com.
2: That's how you hit us up. Coob's where are we head in the day. All right. First question comes from John in Rochester. He asks, looking at Georgia's schedule, I would say it's the easiest for any defending champion that I can remember. They don't have a tough non-conference schedule. Auburn doesn't have the roster yet. Florida is expected to win five games. South Carolina is at home, and Kentucky hasn't beaten Georgia since 2009. Their second, I'm sorry, their two toughest games are Ole Miss and Tennessee back-to-back. Why is it that people cannot admit that the Bulldogs have an easy schedule? Here's what I would say, and this goes not just for Georgia or
1: Ohio State or Michigan or any of these other schools that are considered super elite coming into the season. When you are as good as Georgia is and their roster is as good as they are, you're going to look and say, well, is this schedule easy because it's Georgia that's playing it or is it easy because it's easy? And I think both can be true, I might add. Both can be true because I think a road trip to Tennessee, a team that's probably going to be in the top 10, top 12 in the country coming into the season, one of the most hostile environments in the country, a lot of people would circle that game and say, that is a beast right there. A road trip to Auburn, even though Auburn has not been as good recently, very difficult place to play, very, very tough game in a rivalry game to go on the road and get the job done. These things are fact. Uh, these things are difficult, okay? Okay. But the reason why you think the schedule's easy is because you think so highly of Georgia. Georgia's going to be a heavy favorite in every game. That's not because the schedule's really weak. It's because Georgia's really good. Now, all that taken into account, I completely agree with you. The non-conference schedule is remarkably gettable. Georgia Tech, at this point, not a huge challenge. I think they'll be better in time, but not a huge challenge. UT Martin, Ball State, UAB, All games that should be very easily decided about seven minutes into the game there in the first quarter. So I don't disagree. I think Georgia's schedule is extremely manageable, extremely manageable. I will never say a schedule in any Power Five league is easy. There are some that are gettable and some that are a gauntlet. Georgia's is gettable. Very very much in that direction. Now, in a perfect world, like I've said in the past, I'd love to see scheduling uniformity. I would love to see the non-conference games be taken out of the athletic director's hands. And basically, you have a third party that schedules non-conference games based on quality matchups. So in a perfect world, I'd love to see Georgia play against USC or love to see Georgia play against Texas this year in the big 12 or love to see Georgia play against Michigan in the big 10. If you won your league last year or you were within striking distance of winning your league, I'd love to see some made for TV events like big non-conference matchups. I'd love to see that, but that's not going to happen. At least it's not going to happen overnight. Now, Georgia did have Oklahoma on the schedule, but with Oklahoma heading into the sec, they've removed them from the schedule this year. So it's not entirely their fault, But even Georgia fans have to admit this schedule is not one that you're going to be losing a lot of sleep over. There will be games and there will be times that will be challenging because nobody's perfect and nobody's going to run the gauntlet and beat everybody by 100. Nobody thought Georgia was going to be taken to the 11th hour against Missouri last year, and there will be a game in here that will be tough for Georgia. There's no denying. I think it actually benefits you. If you win every game by 100 and you have no adversity, then it's not going to be very good for you when you get into the playoff or into the conference championship game or into the national championship. So I look at this Georgia team. I acknowledge the schedule is very manageable, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that I think so highly of Georgia. And if they were just your run-of-the-mill team, for instance, you had Florida play this exact same schedule, I don't think you'd be viewing it and saying, man, that's a really easy schedule for the Gators this year. You look at it and say, oh, well, they could lose this one. They could lose this one. They could lose this one. It has to do with the fact that Georgia has separated themselves so much from the pack to the point in which you perceive them through a lens in which it's different than the other teams in the league.
2: Thank you for bringing up the Oklahoma thing before every Georgia fan got into the comments and Twitter and told us about it. We understand it just happened, but I digress. This is another scheduling question. This one comes from Jeff. I need someone to tell me what a tough schedule is. One top 10 matchup, two top 10 matchups, three top 15 matchups, four top 25 matchups. What? There is no,
1: it just depends on the year. It depends on the team that you're describing. I think a lot of it has to do with how many ranked matchups. that's, That's really the way I've always perceived it. Now, here's the problem. You might be. I want you actually to go back and, and look at one game in particular because I actually watched it yesterday. It was on whether it was ESPNU or SEC Network. I don't know what it was on, but it was on, and I watched it because why not? It's July, and I've watched every single game tape that I can watch from a coach's click clicker. But I need to just be entertained a little bit from time to time. So I watched Kentucky and Ole Miss. This was probably week four. Week five or so, Kentucky was 4-0, ranked number seven in the country. Ole Miss was 4-0. They were like top 14 or 15. That game at the time was a ridiculously big game in college football. Massive. People paying attention. Hey, this has playoff implications. Kentucky's never had a start like this. They just beat Florida a couple weeks before that. You looked at Florida. Florida just beaten... Utah the week before that, that Kentucky beat them. So that looked like an amazing win. Well, Florida was six and seven at the end of the year. Kentucky wasn't much better. So you need to kind of look at the way I try to do it. I take every week, hey, this is a tough game. 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 This is a big game. This is a big game. This one has playoff implications, what have you. But the games that have playoff implications in week three might not necessarily be important when we look at the big picture at the end of the year. It's a week-by-week thing, and then at the end of the year, you have to look at what the team ultimately became, not what they were when you played them. And I've seen so many people say, well, we have six ranked wins. Yeah, okay, so you beat a ranked opponent in week two, and the opponent's wheels fell off. Next thing you know, that win didn't look so good. And we've seen that time and time and time again. I don't like to necessarily hinge on, well, you won this many ranked games... I want to see the teams that you played and where they rank at the end of the year. So if you beat Ole Miss in week five and they were number 14 in the country, well, if they're six and six at the end of the year and unranked, then I view that win as a win against an unranked team, not against the number 14 team in the country. So I think that's the way you have to approach it. And the way you can really, the only way that you can really evaluate schedules and schedule difficulty is by looking at it at the end of the year. What were these teams at the end of the year and what ultimately came of the teams that you beat and or lost to?
2: I want to ask a follow-up on that because the argument against that, well, they finished six and six because we beat them, because other great teams beat them. Do you look at a win total as being a very good win? Like if a team gets to, not bowl because we know you have to be six wins, but if they have like, is it nine wins where you look at something as like, hey, they may not be ranked, but that was a really quality win because that team won nine games.
1: Yeah, if you finish, if you beat, you know, however many teams that won, won eight and four, yeah, that's a good win. If you go eight and four or better, I think you're a solid football team. And now, not all eight and fours are created equal. See, that's the age old adage that I've just never subscribed to. You are what your record says you are. I don't know if I agree with that. Because I've seen really good teams, really good teams lose really close games to really good competition. And maybe they're, Final record doesn't look great, but that was a highly competitive team. I mean, I've seen really, really good teams lay eggs and look terrible. LSU last year is a good example. They looked awful, awful against Tennessee. They looked awful against Texas A&M. But was that a pretty good team? Heck, yeah, that was a pretty good team. When you take the when you take the entire uh, season and evaluate it from a thirty thousand foot perspective, were they good or were they not? So if you beat AM, or if you beat AM at the end of the year, is that a good win? No, it wasn't. AM was five and seven. But you beat LSU at the end of the year, that's a pretty dang good win when you take a look at it. So I think you you can't oh, we we always do, and we will again this year. If a team goes out in the beginning of the year, for instance, and wins a big game week one uh, or week two, for instance, let's use this as an example. If Texas beats Alabama week two, you know what's going to happen to Texas's ranking? They're going to go all the way to the moon. They'll be ranked in the top three. And then everybody's gonna say Texas is back. Right. If Alabama beats Texas in week two, everyone's say, Oh, Alabama, well, see, see, that wasn't a concern. Texas is legit. Well, what if Texas's wheels fall off and they limp down the finish line? I don't know, but I, I think you have to really evaluate at the end of the year. Hey, that is a good team. They are ranked in the top 25. They have this many wins. We beat them. That should be a feather in our cap. So it's just situational. You can't just have one rule and apply it across the board. It has to be situational. Hey, this is a good win. This is not. This is a great win. This is not. This is an elite win. This is not. It's very difficult, I think, to do it with just one rule in place. Because you might beat an 8-4 and South Carolina team last year. Was South Carolina an elite team? Not by any stretch of the imagination especially in the first 10 weeks of the year. They were very average. But guess what? It looked a little different after they had consecutive wins against Tennessee and 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 Clemson. So, I think it just depends on the on the thing on the way you evaluate the teams and if you go about it with one rule and one rule only, I think you're going to have a lot of anomalies if
2: you try to apply it with just one rule. And that's why we love college football. All right, next question is a Twitter question from Corey. He said, explain the show cause being put on the Michigan assistants. Why does that make them tough to hire? Well, a show
1: cause is not good. It's never good. I'll just start with that. Totally understanding what a show cause is all about is a little bit difficult for me. I I have not familiarized myself with all the aspects of NCAA penalties, but the way I understand it is that if you are operating under a show cause as a coach, now, as a coach, by the way, so let's use the example that's been brought up most recently. Jeremy Pruitt recently received a six-year show cause. Now, he could be hired by another institution. That's that's. I think a lot of people think that if you have a show cause, you can't get hired. No, you can get hired, but the institution would have to check in with the NCAA every six months until the end of the coach's employment or the show cause penalty. They also, if in fact they were to have Uh, another penalty or infraction while under a show cause, then the school that hires the coach under the show cause could be severely penalized if they were to commit additional violations. So I think basically, if I'm going to explain it the most layman's terms possible, and I will admit, like I said, I do not know all the aspects of show cause penalties and what you have to do and and what it means and how heavily scrutinized you are. You can put a school on probation, right? Like if you're on probation, you commit additional violations, they're gonna drop the hammer on you, okay? I think most people can understand school on probation, you can't screw up. You gotta walk a fine line because you're operating under a microscope because you've already committed an infraction in recent times. I think a show cause penalty for a layman, and I am a layman, (laughs) but this helps me understand it a little bit here as well, I think a show cause penalty is basically probation for an individual. So if you are a coach, you can get hired, you can go other places, but you have to be an absolutely perfect, perfect coach. You have to adhere to every single rule. You have to check in constantly with the NCAA. And if you make another mistake, they're going to drop their hammer on you. So a show cause is basically like probation for an individual. So that's the way I understand it. If there's someone that works for the NCAA that is listening to the show, I don't know why you would be. Uh, we're not super fond of the NCAA, but I digress. Uh, if there's someone that would love to clarify what a show cause means and what it means for individuals as it relates to the hiring and firing process and how it affects their future employment, hit us up. Always football at gmail.com because I don't know. but That's the way I understand it. Either way, I don't like show causes. I think in today's day and age of college football, the only thing you should get a show cause for is tampering. And personally, I think you pay a tip on a meal or buy a burger or buy a milkshake for a player. I don't think that should matter. My own personal opinion, you might feel differently with where we're at in college football and NIL. I don't think it should be that big a deal. But if you tamper with somebody else's roster and you are actively recruiting a player on another team's roster that to me is where they should drop the hammer and start handing out individual punishments to coaches that would be willing to do that.
0: Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be.
1: 200 shows here at Always College Football. We appreciate y'all. It's been a blast to be with y'all for the last year. It's going to be even more fun here in year number two. The numbers are starting to ramp up significantly. We appreciate you guys, man. I don't think any of us anticipated us rolling this quickly. We thought it would be a slow build, but you guys have helped us so much, and we so appreciate it. Continue to tell your friends. Tell everybody about Always College Football. Please like, rate, subscribe on the podcast. And I also want to give a special shout-out to one of our producers. That would be Jack Foster. Now, Jack's birthday is coming up. I think he turned 16. Jack, how old are you now, give or take? I think 16, 17 or maybe you're a junior in college. I don't know. You look 16 or 17. Ride that train, buddy. Ride that train. You do not want to go get old. You're keeping us young, especially Kubiak who's going on 50. Uh but we're in a we're in a good spot here and we appreciate you being a part of the show, Jack. We love you. The funny thing is Jack is a Tennessee student. And he's going to celebrate his birthday in Oxford, Mississippi. And based on what I learned about college football a couple years ago, There is not a lot of love lost between Ole Miss and Tennessee. Are you going to take down some mustard bottles or maybe a golf ball or two down to Oxford, Jack? I just need to know. If you are, it's fine. Let's keep it civil, please, on the square. Just please keep it civil on the square. And if you go to one of the great college bars in America, the library, just behave yourself. That's all I say. That's all I have to say. For all of us here at Always College Football, we want to wish Jack a very happy birthday. And for all of you that have helped us build college, Always College Football over the last couple of uh, months, years, however long it's been, we appreciate you. 200 shows is no feat that we're going to look down on. We're great. We're looking forward to 200 more, and then 200 more after that, and 200 more after that. So we got a long way to go here, and Always College Football will be here with you every step of the way. For all of us here, for Mark, Jack, Jake, I'm Greg. We have, oh, and Peyton. Peyton is here as well. We appreciate you so much, and remember, it's always college football. Hey, guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcast.